If you have your Bibles, find John chapter number 2. You know, every time, for me, every time that I, I get a deeper or fuller um, understanding of prophecy, my faith is strengthened. And uh, this is one of these episodes where you see early in the ministry of Jesus, he predicts the resurrection. And he basically tells everybody, hang your belief on this overtly amazing thing. Hang your belief on that. And then, you know, three years later, they put him in the ground, and he basically says to death, na na boo boo and gets back up. The goal of John's gospel, the goal of the gospel according to John, he tells us point blank. We've gone over it. I even know, Casey, you reiterated it again last week, you know. The goal is that these signs are given so that we might believe Jesus is the Messiah, and in believing, we might have life. Don't miss the gold at any point here. Today, though, we see this sort of crazy episode. And let me go ahead and cut you to the chase. All the other Gospels put this at the end of his earthly ministry. John puts it at the beginning. Why? I think it's because he done it twice there. All of academia just fell on their knees before me. He did it to establish his authority, and he did it to reiterate his authority. There you go. But let me see if I can put this in some kind of light that brings it right down on the sidewalk next to us. All right, how many of you guys have driver's license and drive on a regular basis? Raise your hands. This is participation time. You're driving along. You're driving along, and you see what you believe to be a state trooper. What is your natural reaction every time? Hit the brakes. Why do you hit the brakes? Because usually you're speeding. Usually, or at least you have a suspicion you're speeding. So let me go ahead and hit the brakes, and then I'll look and see if I was. Um, I hit the brakes because I'm speeding. <laughs> it used to be, it used to be I was concerned what's in this car. <laughs> no joke. Like, what, what do I have in this car? Now I'm like, um, I don't want a ticket. And it's so refreshing to only be concerned about a speeding ticket. Uh, a couple years ago, people were driving really crazy at the intersection where Open Kettle is, where Highway 49 and 158 meet. And, uh, you know, if you work at My Life Matters or in the neighborhood we live in, you're very apt to go through that intersection many times in a week. And they had city cops and deputy sheriffs and state highway patrolmen, and uh, they were... They were, you know, really patrolling that area. I think the chief thing they were concerned about is people would come out, come, come down 49, and they would never slow down. They'd come up 158, they'd never slow down. So people would come through that intersection doing like 73. People were running the light like crazy. There had been a couple of accidents. So, so they put a presence there. How long do you think that lasted? It didn't last a week. I mean a week. One thing that reveals is we aren't really interested in changing. We're just very interested in not being penalized. Let me say that again. We're not interested in changing. We're just not interested in being penalized. Now, I mean, everyone else kept breaking the law. I, of course, learned my lesson and slowed down and have not sped up since. I was one of the hosts who was stopped during that little 
week, week and a half of everyone getting stopped. I got stopped and uh, used my, I've got most of my teeth and I'm pretty. So most of the time I can get out of a ticket. And I did. Most of the time. Most of my teeth, most of the time. Jesus shows up on the scene, and you do wonder how long is this heightened sense of the nearness of God, the brokenness of the flesh, how long does it last in the temple after Jesus comes in and runs out the money changers and flips over tables and acts with indignation at their behavior and makes the proclamation that, you know, this is the house of the Lord. How long does it last? I don't know. I wasn't there. But I know his goal in upsetting us is not so that we can get back to normal. It's so that we can have an encounter with the living God and invite him to do in us what we could never do without his power. Amen? We know here in John there are big stakes. What are the big stakes? Jesus doesn't want to just show up so we can have a little feeling and change for a couple days. He wants us to believe that he's the Messiah, and in believing what, church? Have life. Let's try that again. He wants us to believe that he's the Messiah, and in believing what? Wow, you guys memorized that verse. I'm so proud of you. Jesus' goal is for us to have life, not just be nervous that a state trooper is sitting at the intersection. Does anybody besides me see what a radical difference that is? It's a change where everywhere you drive, you're driving with purpose. You're not reacting with fear. You're not reacting at the point of penalty. You're living a radically different life. That's his goal. John chapter number 2, verse number 12. We're going to get out of here early in Jesus' name. John 2, 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Fathers, we open your word. Open it to us. We want to believe. We want to believe and have life. This is only done by your power. Help us to believe and, in believing, have life. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.
and amen. Let me set the scene. Let me set it very quickly. Let me set it in the context of the scripture. Verse 12 tells us something very important. Jesus instructs his disciples at Capernaum. You say, how do you know that? Where were they? They were at a wedding. They left. They went down to Capernaum, and apparently his family had a house there. They went with their family. That's, that's what we're given to believe. Now, you say, where do you see that he instructs his disciples? I'm going to tell you three huge pieces of evidence that he instructs his disciples. He had just called them to follow him. He was a rabbi. That's what they did. <laughs> amen? Somebody say amen. That's what rabbis did when people went into their school. They followed the teacher around. The teacher taught them. Secondly, they went aside for a few days. This was also, it sounds strange to us, but it was very common in their culture. They went aside for a few days, and in that aside time, guess what they would have talked about? Things that had just happened in relation to the Scripture, things that they might be encountering in relation to the Scripture. We know from verse 13 that something was coming up. What's coming up? Look at the Bible and tell me. What's it say? Passover. He would have instructed them about how to understand what had happened at that wedding, and he would have been instructing them about what was going to happen as he initiated his public ministry. They went aside. What do we do? We, we, we do the same thing. We go on retreats, and we, we, we pull aside from our normal life, and we get instruction. Honestly, sub-sermon, side note, it should be our daily habit to get along with Jesus and say, teach me, teach me, teach me, Rabbi. Show me. Show me how to make sense of the things that have been happening. Give me some insight into what is happening and show me how to behave for what's out in front of me. Third piece of evidence, third piece of evidence. Down in the passage, they start responding to things. That means as they see things unfold, they go, oh, Jesus had done told us that. Secondly, to set the scene. Jesus leads his disciples to observe Passover. Verse 13 tells us they go up to Jerusalem because Passover was at hand. Now, here's something that's really, really critical. As they would observe Passover, the habit, this sounds totally crazy to us, but the habit would have been, the worshipful habit, would have been to go through the whole entire house and get all the yeast out of the house. Why? They're going back to that time when he says, make some bread. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing big time. Make some bread and make it quick. Don't make that bread. It takes a few days for it to develop. Make some overnight bread. That means they're going to make flat bread, pita bread. Make it. Don't use yeast. Don't wait for the dough to rise and then cook it. Go ahead and put it together and make some pita bread. It wasn't pita bread, but that's the best example I can give you. Flat and pretty tasteless. But I will tell you, you put a whole stick of butter on one piece of pita bread and stick it back in the oven, it tastes good when you get it out. Fat people hints. Be back here for more recipes. What they were doing was remembering and celebrating this readiness for the freedom move of God. Now, a Jewish family who was trying to set their heart to hear from God would have done these things. Let's go through the house. Let's, let's look for the yeast. Let's remember the reasons. Let's prepare our hearts. Somebody else, some other family, they, they may not have been readying themselves for these moves of God, these celebrations and festivals, these times of worship that God had given them. But he, he's come aside, and now he's leading them up here to celebrate the Passover. This is really big. Everybody should have been 
in a mood to worship, to engage with God, to consider, is this the time that the Messiah comes to fully liberate us? That would have been their preparation. That would have been totally normal. Thirdly, to set the scene, when they get there, in verses, we see it reflected here in verses 14 through 16, when they get there, Jesus sees the religious business as usual, and it's time, it's time for anger. It's time for zeal. And so he has righteous zeal for his house. I love, I love when he behaves this way, when he behaves this way, verse 17 tells us something really neat. Zeal for your house will consume me. More on that in a moment. More on that in just a moment. But the, the disciples watch him do all this stuff, and they go, oh, oh, yeah, this is Psalm 69. People who are good covenant keepers really care about the house of the Lord because it's the house of the Lord where God accepts the offering of the people. And when God accepts the offering of the people, we know in the covenant we don't have to expect God's wrath to land on us. So we should be pretty serious about the house of the Lord. Like, oh, he's not doing just business as usual. This is serious stuff. He has righteous zeal for his house. Now you have the scene. Let's turn to the three big lessons that happen because of this scene. Number one, number one, in his righteous zeal for God's house, Jesus marks himself as Messiah. He marks himself. Now, I got to get ahead and then go back in just a moment. How do I know that? How do I know that? Just, just right after this, some guys say, okay, give us a sign. <laughs> in other words, he's coming in, and you might say, you might say, uh, say uh, uh, let's say somebody walked in, in here right now, and they started stamp, stamping around and yelling and screaming and slapped Michael upside the head and, you know, kicked Dale and come over here and flipped the table over. And, and they turned and said to all of y'all, it's time for East Rock Community Church to get right with God. Somebody would be tempted to say, man, who is you? Likely here in the South, one of y'all is strapped and homeboy might get shot. Like, what is he doing? What, what? Apparently, Humpty Dumpty does fall. We would go, who do you think you are? That sort of happens. But what he's saying is step one, I am serious about the house of the Lord. We should not be having just business as usual. And there was all sorts of things. Come to Life Together Group this week. We'll talk about these things. There's all sorts of things that would have been commonly happening that Jesus would have been upset about. Anyone who cared about the house of the Lord would have been upset about. Jesus is very likely not the first people to, person to come in there and go, oh, this is wrong. All oh, this is bogus. But he is someone who is challenging the system. And it's not for the sake of challenging the system. This is, as a matter of fact, read the bulletin. I put a thing in there that I'm not even going to bring out in the sermon. This is more about him putting himself forward as someone who is representing and revealing God and saying there's an authority that you guys haven't considered. And I'm here to show you him so that he can deal with you. I'm here to show you him so he can deal with you. And so those guys read the sign. <laughs> Just like when the three wise men come to Herod and uh, 
And they say, hey, where, where would this king be born? Anybody remember what the guys did, the three wise men? They go, they go to the scrolls and they come back, Bethlehem. I mean, these guys are reading the signs. They're not totally ignorant of what God is doing. So that brings us to the second big lesson. In declaring, in declaring his resurrection, which is what he does, he makes a singular claim for recognizing the Messiah. Go to verses 18 through 22. They basically said, what sign do you do? Okay, big boy, so you're coming here making a little religious noise. You're pious, you're holy, got you, bub. What makes you think you're the big deal? How are you going to prove to us that you're the big deal? Are you going to serve some Kool-Aid, or what are you going to do? Jesus says, a bit parabolic. He's not speaking, he's speaking very blatant, blatantly, but they don't get it. He says, ah, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. But he actually says, you destroy the temple, I'll raise it up. Destroy the temple, I'll raise it up. And they go, bruh, we've been working on this building for 46 years. You think if somebody tears it down, we can get it built back in three days? See, they're, now they've checked out. They're missing the, the real sign of, of a messiahship. You tear the temple down, I'll raise it up. And it gives us a little glimpse into the future. He says, but he was speaking of his body. And later on, the disciples go, oh, yeah, yeah. This, guys, is a very, very powerful apologetic. A lot of people claim to be the Messiah. A lot of people claim to be the deliverer. Some in those days, like there was a guy whose name was, uh, was uh, Jesus Bar Jonah. He was a very famous figure. He uh, lived, he was a contemporary of Jesus, a little bit older than him. Jesus Bar Jonah put together a small army and went against the Romans. And he was telling people, I mean, this is a historical thing. It's, the account is not in the Bible. But there were many coming to claiming to be the Messiah. That's what Jesus says in John 6, excuse me, uh, in Matthew uh, 6. Many will come. Many will come. Many had came. And they're going, okay, bub, what's your, what's your deal? How do we know you're the one? And he goes, you tear the temple down, I'll rebuild it. Do you notice, even if they understood it to be the physical building, they didn't take the dare? They, okay, let's see this. Why? Because they didn't believe he could rebuild it. If we tear it down, you can't rebuild it. But he wasn't talking about that. This is such a signature moment. Now, I'm sitting here going, wow, there's all this evidence. And what does Jesus do? Jesus makes the ultimate brag. If you tear it down, I'll build it up. So the third big lesson, the third big lesson Recognizing Jesus is no measure of knowing Jesus. This is a pretty big deal. In verses 23 through 25, it tells us in verse 23 very pointedly, many believed in his names when they saw the signs he was doing. Now, I'm going to go ahead and do a little bit of a spoiler alert. In John 6, many leave away from him. <laughs> many believe, many leave away. All right? Wow. Many believe because they see the signs. Wait a minute. Isn't that the goal, to see the signs and know he's the Messiah and, and in believing have life? But he doesn't trust himself to them. He doesn't trust himself 
to them. At this point in his ministry, this is really, really critical. Now, the only other place that I could compare this to in Scripture and clear it up fast, notice I said fast, would be Matthew chapter 7. Let me share that with you all on the screen right here. That's you, Mary Lou. Not everyone who says to me, what? So, so a lot of people are going to say what, church? A lot of people are going to say that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many of you will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. <clears throat> if you've got an ounce of logic, it probably scares you a little bit. It does me. See, the point isn't you knowing Jesus. What's the point, church? Who sees it? What's the point? It's Jesus knowing you. Go back to the passage in John chapter, chapter 2. They saw the signs. They heard the words. They saw how he was behaving. They had heard what he did at the wedding. More signs were to come. They saw the signs that he was doing, and they believed on him. But he didn't give himself to them yet. This is really critical. What can we learn from this? Well, there's a lot. There's a lot of application. Let me give them to you really quickly and leave. In looking at the signs that Jesus himself gives for his Messiahship, the cool thing is he backs them up. I mean, he backs them up. Nobody respects a guy just because he's wearing basketball shoes. But, you know, if you're like Andrew and you come out there in Crocs and ball in people's eyes, they go, whoa. The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in his jumper. I mean, he, the proof is in his hustle. The proof was not in his shoes. But what's cool is when you got the shoes and the game. Andrew, we just need to get you some shoes. You got the game. We just need to get you some shoes. Jesus says, here's all these things you'll do to recognize me. Church is there. People do not not believe for lack of evidence. Anybody in your life you care about, it's not evidence. If it's evidence, then when you give them evidence, what are they going to do, church? People don't believe for lack of reason because if you reason with them and they don't believe, it wasn't reason. There's something else going on. So what do we do with people who the information and the reason is there and they still don't believe? We're left to beg God to do something that's totally out of our power. Totally out of our power. I will often say if the Holy Spirit can't make you do it, I don't know how in the world I'm going to make you do it. I really don't. If the God of the universe can't make you move, I, I mean, you know, he's the eternal policeman. If he can't make you slow down, I can't make you slow down. You know, I passed a state trooper out on Highway 64 one time. I think he was messing with us. It was a 60-mile-an-hour zone. He was doing like 53, and I just went on by him. I was doing like 64. Later on, I stopped at a store. Guy off the road stopped at the store. Guy behind me stopped at the store. He said, I can't believe you passed that state trooper. I said, man. I said, man, you know, if he ain't going to speed limit, I'm going by him. I said, I'm not scared. He says, he said, I was scared. I said, why'd you follow him? He says, well, if he didn't get you, I figured he wouldn't get me. (laughs) 
There is something about our faith. There's something about our faith that can only come from God, and that part is the life part. And, and folks, that gives me a lot of freedom in my witness, and it gives me a lot of confidence in my believing, because if I've seen the signs and I believe and I'm humbled and I'm walking with him, then all I'm doing is taking him at his word. I'm not dependent on my works. I'm dependent on his works, and I'm taking him at his word. It gives me a lot of confidence. When it comes to my witness, I can't make people do anything. I can just share with them. God's got God's to do the, all the heavy lifting. And so I'm really free. If somebody turns me down, I'm like, okay, I don't really like that. I don't like being rejected. But none of that's the greater lesson than this. The greatest lesson in this is Jesus has proclaimed authority over the temple. He's proclaimed authority over death. He said right here, I run this place. <laughs> that's very comforting to me. And he said, tear it down, and I'm going to raise it back up. Not even death. Oh, death, where is your sting? In Hosea, it says, God says, I'm going to kill you. Hosea chapter 3, y'all check this out. Hosea 3, Hosea 7, I ain't got time to go through. He basically says to Israel, I'm going to kill you because of your sin, but on the third day, I'm going to bring you up. It's right there in the scriptures. He was painting the picture. Except what does he do? He kills Jesus for our sin and raises him up in our stead so that we don't have to pay for our sin, and through him we can have life. This is a Bible. And it's plain as day. The signs are so that we'll believe on Jesus as Messiah and in believing, what, church? Have life. God doesn't want you to live like he's the spiritual state highway patrol <laughs> and just change when you get scared of a penalty. He wants you to have life and to live out that change so that as we see things unfold, we go, oh, yeah, that's what the Messiah has been teaching me. Yes. Do you know him today? The scripture says, the script, and I can only stand on God's word. I'm not going to stand on my works. You can't stand on your works. The scripture says, if you believe on that name of Jesus and receive him. See, it's one thing, but it has a couple pieces. You believe that he died in your place, and you say, you are the Lord of my life. You are the Lord. It's not, I'm just going to pray this prayer so I don't have to fear hell. No, I am going to passionately live life with you as my boss. Believe that he died for you. Receive him as Lord. The Bible says you'll be adopted into his family. We often say saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty of hell, the wrath of God. Saved from the, the ultimate death because of your sin. Rescued out of ultimate death and into ultimate life. And God wants to change us. Everything about us. Everything. Because that's what life does. His, he wants to give us his life. So if you, you know, if you walk up to anyone or anything, you start dealing with it like Jesus would. That's life. That's the good life. Do you know him today? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to gather, to come under the teaching of your word, through the scriptures, to come through the, the ideas and the truths of scripture, uh, through singing. Indeed, Father, we can ask that worshipful question. Are you worthy? And by the power of your spirit, we can give a worshipful answer. You are worthy. How would you have your children respond? 
you would have us, Father, surrender our thinking to you and our speaking to you and our hands and our feet so that we adopt your thoughts and speak your words and do your deeds so that the world might meet Jesus through your church. And how would you have, Father, how would you have those who are outside of the, the faith respond? You would have them believe on Jesus and receive him and learn to take you at your word every day. As a family of believers, as a covenant family of believers, help us to respond. Help us like those disciples to say, yes, we see who you are. We remember what you taught us. We see it right here in front of us. Yes, you have the words of life, Lord Jesus. Where else can we go? Do a work in us and through us. Make yourself famous through East Rock Community Church. Make your love shine in Roxborough and Person County because we're walking with Jesus. In Christ we pray. Amen and amen.